This morning, I want us to think together about secrets, about the dark side of our lives that we sometimes hide from everyone, everyone but God. Those things include habits and deviant behavior and addictions, deeds in the past we can't forget. Psychologists tell us that only hidden things can hurt us, and I think they're right. That's why Jesus said, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. Secrets force us to live with fear of exposure and guilt, a feeling of uh, being trapped, uh, a feeling that only God can forgive us, and yet we feel he won't forgive us, uh, a sense that we can't break free. We feel like hypocrites, and on and on goes the list. Now, Christianity is good news about many things. It's primarily good news because Jesus promised that if we confess our secrets to him, our past, that he will wash it away. He'll transform us. Not only will he forgive us, he'll empower us to change, and we can start over again and live a transformed life. That's the essence of what we preach as Christians. And no story in Scripture better illustrates this fantastic truth that God's love is bigger than our secrets, than a dialogue between Jesus and the woman of Samaria. And if you think about it, she's a woman with three strikes against her. She's a moral outcast, she's a hybrid Jew, and she's a victim in a male-dominated culture. And that's why she said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Now, first, I just need to give you a little bit of history. An ancient feud existed between Jews and Samaritans since 720 BC when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom and the way they conquered people was to assimilate them. So they interbred and the result was a hybrid Jew called a Samaritan. Now for centuries, a racial barrier existed between the pure Jew and the hybrid Jew. Now in this drama, Jesus demonstrates a beautiful truth that God's love climbs over every kind of racial, moral, and gender barrier. So I want us to watch Jesus build a friendship that set this woman free from her secrets, enabling her to become a transformed person. And maybe that same miracle might happen to some of us this morning. First, Jesus makes her an incredible offer. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks of you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You know, every human heart has a thirst. And Jesus came to address our thirst with a water that would satisfy, a thirst for acceptance and forgiveness and hope, a thirst to leave the past behind, the part we want to forget and start over again, and a thirst for life beyond our mortality and a thirst that could go this long if you made your own list. And the interesting thing is that from time immemorial, people have sought to satisfy that thirst with the libations offered by a secular world. Today, they include accumulating, upscaling, seeking status and power, consumption, consumerism, sexual addiction, substance abuse, workaholism. So goes the list in Silicon Valley. All these attempts to feed that thirst in our soul. Jesus tells the woman in our drama, and all of us, a very important truth. Nothing in this world will ever quench the thirst in our souls apart from a relationship with himself. We can try everything. Everything will prove deficient but him. That's what Renee said. Two words, Jesus Christ is an answer of how she conquered. You know, at first, 
This woman, like so many of us, answered sarcastically as she interprets our Lord's offer of living water as kind of a flowing spring that might spring up in her front yard, a magical gift that would free her from having to go to the well, carry jugs, and draw water up from the well. And how tempting it is for us, quote, to use Jesus as a solution for our needs, to make life easier, to heal our financial needs, to heal pain in our bodies, stress in our souls, to heal relationships or feelings of inadequacy and pl whatever plagues us. We come for a multitude of reasons initially when we knock on the door, what, what Jesus can you offer me? In fact, today, living water is sold by so many preachers on the media, we see it. Vast multitudes will come and hear somebody say, come to Jesus and you'll find a miracle cure for every burden that life inflicts upon you. And wouldn't that be wonderful if it were true? But you see, using this story as a catalyst, I think it would be neat for us this morning to just ask ourselves, what was our motivation for coming to church today seeking Jesus? Are we here to commune with him to more perfectly conform our will to his will, to, to just get to know him and love him, to refocus ourselves from self, to care about the people he cares about, our neighbor? Or are we here today to consume, to consume our Lord's blessings, loving him for what he does for us or what he will do for us? And we attend worship to have our tastes and needs met. And we're always evaluating, what did this do for me? Or we come here to be more successful, to make good contacts, to have our problems solved. You know, I just think it's good once in a while for us to ask, what is our relationship with Jesus? Are we a consumer or are we a communer? Do we want a relationship with Jesus as Lord of our lives or do we merely want his blessings and if he turned off his blessings, we'd walk away? Good question. That leads to a second truth. Jesus reveals this woman's incredible need. Before he can get, off, get her off the magic kick of a spring in her front yard, he has to put her in touch with her need, which is far greater than having to come and draw water. So rather than giving her a time-saving time device for transporting water, Jesus wants to give her the far greater gift of putting her in touch with the need deep inside that she's hidden. So he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He continues to build the metaphor here and she's getting more and more intrigued. What in the world is this thing called living water? But then he opens the door for her to see the thirst that his kind of water quenches. Go call your husband. Well, she meekly responds, I don't have a husband. And tenderly, Jesus exposes the fact she's had five husbands plus her current live-in. Whammo! All of her pain and guilt come to the surface that's associated with her past that's littered with sin and failure and rejection and guilt and unfulfilled dreams. There she is kind of exposed, thirsty. But you see, in exposing her secrets and in exposing ours, Jesus isn't seeking to humiliate us. He wants to help us understand. She wa he wanted her to understand. She isn't hopelessly caught in her past, no matter what she's done or in her present circumstances. His offer of living water, the gift of forgiveness and freedom and new beginnings can bring her a total healing, a new beginning. 
Now, I find it fascinating as he makes contact with her deepest need. Suddenly, the conversation takes on substance. It jumps from magical ways of transporting water to the question, where do we worship God? God finally comes into the picture, you see. There's a demonic dimension of the human heart. And that is we attempt to hide our deepest spiritual needs very often in the form of denial. Denial is a powerful roadblock to our finding the healing of our inner secrets. <clears throat> and I would suggest that it's often expressed in the widespread attraction today of what I would title generic spirituality. This is the belief, yes, I have needs, but resources for fixing my needs lie within me. If I can just tap into my inner energy, adopt positive attitudes, or tap into some kind of energy out there, I'll be fine. I just need a tune-up. I need a touch-up. I'll be fine. But you see, when we make contact with the real need in our heart called sin, generic spirituality is deficient to solve that problem. And at that point, the living water Jesus offers becomes relevant. Because you see, any generic spirituality, any libation out in this world ultimately is going to prove deficient. And most of us have already discovered that. The psalmist illustrates one who's made contact with true spiritual need when he says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. Like a burden too heavy to bear, I groan in anguish of heart. For I'm about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. <clears throat> I'm troubled by my sin. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. He's almost desperate. You see, awareness of our need, that's the catalyst that opens our eyes to know Jesus alone holds the cure in this thing he calls living water. That leads us to a third truth. Jesus offers then an incredible cure to her and to us. You see, being a Samaritan, she had been excluded all her life from the animal sacrifice at Jerusalem in the temple because she couldn't go. She wasn't clean enough. And it was believed that the only way you get forgiven is through animal sacrifice. Tenderly, Jesus shares the good news that God isn't found in a place. He's found in a person called the Messiah. And what's more, God isn't an angry deity ready to zap her for her sins. He's a father who knows all about her and he loves her just the same. <clears throat> and even more than that, this God can be worshiped anywhere. He isn't found at church. He's found in a person, a personal relationship with Jesus. And the, and the woman responds by saying, well, I know that Messiah is coming. I know God is going to come to us in the flesh. And at this point, Jesus makes one of those rare revelations as he reveals God's incredible cure for the thirst in her soul himself. You know, I've said so often to us, and it's sometimes it takes a lifetime to understand that Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Some of us have had it up to here with religion. Every day I meet people who've been hurt by church, hurt by the past. This woman had been hurt by religion. It hadn't met her needs. And, and the good news is Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is God coming to us. And he does what animal sacrifices, what religion can never do. He takes away the sin of the world and her sin and your sin and my sin. And he doesn't keep guilt on us and give us hard works, good works to do to earn God's favor. He gives us grace freely. So claiming to be the Messiah, this woman's brought to a place of decision, a crossroads of belief. 
Does she keep pursuing a dead religion or does she dare cultivate a relationship with this man who says he's God? John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, was haunted in his early Christian experience by the feeling that he had committed an unpardonable sin. Or basically, he was too gross even for God to love. And reading this story of the woman of Samaria and connecting it with the Lord's promise, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, John Bunyan found healing. And he finally believed Jesus could forgive him and he became the great Christian leader. You know, I believe many of us week after week sit in worship with shame and guilt and fear haunting our souls. No matter how many times we hear grace, we sing hymns, we hear sermons, we go out, we keep sinning and we wonder, God, how can you go on loving me? I'm too gross even for you to love. These feelings of shame fill my heart far more frequently than I would care to admit. If you're ever a preacher, most of us are attacked greatly before we ever stand up in this pulpit because what we're preaching, we aren't even following ourselves. I'm not most of the time. And you see this delta between what we are and what we are supposed to be, and it can be overwhelming until you understand, until I understand God's grace is greater than that. So I want to put it in bold type. There is no person here today who Jesus cannot and will not forgive, no matter what litters your track record, no matter what sins you have committed, continue to commit. He is there to wash off, to give you a drink of living water to help you start again. And that is good news. But you see, the drink of living water requires that we believe that what Jesus says is true about himself and about sin and about forgiveness. We have to allow him to walk with us through the pain of truth-telling, exposing our secrets, opening every closet filled with skeletons of addiction and wrong relationships and greed and pride and immorality and selfishness and all the stuff that we bring with us every week to church. And once these skeletons are exposed, given a name, and we repent of them, Jesus forgives us, he releases us and sets us free, and he does it every hour of every day. The cross of Jesus covers our sin. And you know what? The only sin Jesus can't forgive is our refusal to accept his forgiveness, his incredible cure, or to believe we are so gross he can't. His blood does not cover us. We're too bad for him to forgive. Those are the only sins he can't forgive. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came here with authority to forgive sins and to pronounce us righteous in the sight of God. And that's the good news. That's why we Christians celebrate. His atoning death, his spilled blood, cancels all sin. I'm always amazed at how current biblical stories can be. I'm interested in subjects on magazine covers that are used to attract readers. Miracle diets to keep one young and healthy, new information about how to be sexy and attractive, scandal stories, articles about money, how to get it, how to multiply it, and how to spend it. And this and a, a countless longer list are all the libations offered by the world to try to satisfy the thirst in our souls. And we Christians blow the whistle on it. Those will never satisfy. They're little semi-temporary anesthetics to keep us from dealing with our real need. And you know, the mystery remains. Most people reject our Lord's living water in favor of these short-term libations. 
And we write off Christianity in the now famous statement by Jesse Ventura sort of epitomizes what the attitude of many people are out there. Religion's a sham and it's a crutch for weaklings. But you know, the good news is that Jesus, for those of us who are in touch with our needs, can forgive us. He holds the cure. And like the woman in our story, we can be forgiven and healed and given a new beginning. And rather than being a crutch and a sham, when we meet Jesus, he's the greatest truth and the greatest reality in this world. We don't know all the details, but the woman did drink of the living water that day and her life was transformed. So dramatic was the impact of her encounter with Jesus that she went back to the townspeople who had abused and rejected her and invited them to come and drink of this living water from this man who says he's God. He said, I, she said, I found the Messiah. I wish I could have been there to hear her story. I met this guy who knows all my secrets and I'm not ashamed any longer. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I'm whole. He's the Messiah. Come and see. Before you go home, I want to ask, how about you? What brought you to church today? Consumer? Communer? Jesus brought you here to hear an incredible offer, living water, and to heal yours and my incredible need, sin, by giving us an incredible cure, his own life, so that our sins could be covered and we could become whole. What's your response? Would you allow Jesus to quench the thirst in your soul? Would you just give up trying to satisfy it anywhere else because it won't work? Today, if you feel a need to confess secrets to a safe person, and one of the things that we Protestants, I feel, are lacking in, I wish we had a confessional like the Catholics because we're supposed to do it to each other and we don't. Charlie Campbell, our pastor um, and also trained counselor, is going to be at the healing service today. And if some of you just would like to unload to a safe person, he's going to be there for you. Or maybe you want to unload in the quietness of your own soul right now to God. I'd invite you to take a drink of this living water right now. You can be free from your secrets. You can leave here with a brand new beginning. And that's what I'm going to do today by the grace of God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, this is deep stuff. But thank you for it. Thank you for getting past our facade into the depths of our soul. Thank you for living water and new beginnings. In Jesus' name, amen.